Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, and shave gel. Go to harrys.com slash fool. It's Tuesday, May 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday. Hey, hey. Thanks for sliding out of your usual Monday slot. Well, it was my pleasure. You know, I took the opportunity to uh, take a nap. Do it well. I did actually. <laughs> I, I took a little bit of a cat nap. I did some work from home yesterday. I was able to finish up um, a report on um, Ellie May, nice. which was great. And um, you know, hey, I, I while I was sitting there making dinner last night, I said, "Hey, Alexa." Play market foolery. So I listened to you and Michael Douglas talk about the Berkshire Hathaway trip. That was a very good episode. Yeah, yeah. He um, uh, again. I said this on yesterday's episode. I think it's it's a sign of Michael's age that he just like <laughs> or lack thereof. Yeah, or lack thereof. <laughs> just he, he just looked great. Like if I had gone to Omaha for the weekend and gotten up before the sun, it, like I would just yep. be totally dragging. So yep. um, earnings palooza rolls on. We've got uh, we got a lot to talk about today. I actually want to start before we get into the earnings. I do want to start with. I would argue the big business story from Monday, and that is uh, Coach buying Kate Spade for $2.4 billion. And I'm curious what you think of this deal. This is a week after Coach put up some pretty good numbers in terms of their latest earnings report. And shares of Kate Spade up on the buyout, and shares of Coach were up yesterday as well. I think it's because, among other things, Enough investors looked at the deal that Coach was getting here and felt like they were getting value. Oh, I, yeah, I think that is that is a good um, that is a good point there. I mean, I think uh, generally speaking, yeah, my wife and I were talking about this last night, and I, and I say this as as the owner of a Coach briefcase that I'm very fond of. Um, I, I think this is the marrying of two fantastically mediocre businesses. <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean that necessarily to. To say this is a bad deal or anything, I think that what we've seen here over the course of the past five years really is generally what happens in retail. Particularly, we've been talking about Coach and how it's sort of affordable luxury and whatnot. And at what point do you go from being luxury to affordable luxury to just totally mainstream? And there was there was a point where you could sort of see the writing on the wall with all of the discounts that they were um, listing. And the outlet stores and everything. I mean, it just became very clear that they kind of stepped away from that affordable luxury, and they were making the strategic move to become more of a lifestyle brand. And I think that's fine. I mean, it's it's, it's nothing wrong with doing that because they really do need to figure out a way to um, increase volume, right? They're not just handbags anymore. I mean, it's handbags. They're getting into clothes and shoes and all sorts of different things. So while I don't think either business on its own is a, tr- a tremendous opportunity for investors going forward. I do think this probably makes more sense. Some consolidation in this sector, bringing together uh, a healthy portfolio of different offerings, and that's ultimately what Coach is doing. I think. I mean, yeah. they'll, they'll still talk to that lifestyle brand and kind of try to bring uh, more things out there for everybody to kind of to kind of peruse. I mean, it's not just a handbag company. Um, but I mean, again, this is I think to your point about value. I mean, I think this this values Kate Spade at something like sixteen and a half times trailing earnings, which is really not that bad at all. I mean, yeah. Coach is the bigger company. Kate Spade, I think, has plenty of opportunity to grow, uh, particularly globally. Um, 
So I think Coach took an opportunity maybe to kind of get in there and make a a reasonable offer for a company that I'm sure they'll be able to extract some value from. It. See, I think that you you mentioned the the mediocre businesses, and I'm not going to dispute that. I do. I will say, however, I think the brands are stronger than the businesses. I think that that might be the promise here for investor or the potential promise for investors is that these are. Two pretty strong brands. Yep. Uh, um, and again, going back to the value point, Kate Spade three years ago that stock was around forty dollars a share. Now it's in the teens. So the the brands are not. I don't look at the brands as being damaged or even mediocre. I look at them as solid brands. And if they can get the operation part right, then I think it can work out for them. And and you mentioned the discount. I mean, that was a big part of the story last week with Coach. Was yeah. They started ratcheting back the discounting, and lo and behold. Their margins started to look better. Yeah, I mean, go figure. I mean, yeah. at some point or another, uh, I mean, I mean, you, you, we we see it with restaurants, we see it in retail. I mean, eventually, you hit a year where your comparables become just too easy to clear, and the business starts to look better just because the past really looked so bad. Um, and, and Coach, for a long time, was a brand that I think uh, possessed more pricing power than perhaps it does today. I mean, I don't know that it really does possess a whole lot of pricing power today. But I do agree with you. I think the brands themselves are still very strong and can transcend lines. I mean, it doesn't have to be just a handbag company. It doesn't have to be just a shoe company or whatever. I mean, I think they throw lifestyle strategy around I and mean, we want to become a lifestyle brand and you kind of think all right well what exactly does that mean I mean I get it I mean you're going to go out there and you're going to see everything from keychains to handbags to shoes to hats to whatever and that is going to be the best way for these businesses to monetize and to grow on a meaningful level and I think just as we see with certain restaurants when they sort of hit their when they hit the kind of the ceiling of their growth opportunity and and I think a good example here would be something in maybe Buffalo Wild Wings um the idea was that they were going to start bringing more different types of restaurants under their umbrella, and that was uh, the the Pizza Rev, that was Rusty Taco, um, and so I think Coach is looking at this very much the same way. I think that we'll see Coach continue to um, look at some strategic acquisitions, and it's it's nice to see that they didn't feel like they needed to overpay. I think the folks over at Kate Spade realized that they were. Caught in a really difficult situation, and the writing is kind of on the wall. You, they, they saw what Coach went through, and and they kind of knew, oh, okay, well, this is sort of where we're going to be going if if we don't figure this out. And and that's the problem. It's not too easy to figure out. At some point or another, you got to figure out a way to get merchandise into the consumer's hands. And usually, the best way to do that is to make it uh, you know a price that you can't pass up. Let's get to some of the earnings today, and we'll start with Wayfair, the online furniture retailer. Wayfair's first quarter loss was smaller than expected, and Wall Street is apparently throwing them a parade because <laughs> the stock is up 22%. How good was this quarter? Imagine if they were even more unprofitable. <laughs> uh, no, I kid. I, I mean, mean I, kid. I, I mean to be to you know to to cut Wayfair a little slack. I mean their their sales number looked good. Their sales their revenue number. I think is a big part of what's driving the stock today because that it wasn't just the smaller loss. It was like, hey, you guys are actually putting up bigger sales than we thought you were going to put up. Yeah, and I think Wayfair. This has been a this has been a fascinating company to cover. I've covered it since its IPO, and we had it on the watch list in MDP for a time. Removed it just because we felt like it was a bit smaller, a bit of a riskier play than kind of what we were looking for in our portfolio. If someone had asked me at some point over the past week or so. 
um, on Twitter about Amazon starting to sort of dip a toe into this line, um, moving more home furnishings and home home goods and things like that. And was that going to be the death blow for Wayfair? And to me, you know, that's that sort of old, okay, this is going to be the Wayfair killer or what's going to be the Netflix killer or whatever. I mean, anytime you start talking about that, I think you have to sort of take a step back and realize, okay, first and foremost, that just ultimately validates the opportunity that Wayfair has been seeing and has built this business on. So there's something to that. And to your point, uh, they do continue to grow sales at a nice clip. So that means they're doing something right. And I think part of that is the fact that it is a company very much built on uh, being extremely customer centric. And and I just I think when you have leaders who are building their businesses based on just giving their customers what they want, whether it be value, quick delivery, whatever it is, those are generally very powerful businesses over time. Now I think that with Wayfair, the metric that I always continue to pay the closest attention to um, is looking at the percentage of orders placed by repeat customers, because ultimately what Wayfair is going to have to do in order to become profitable. Is they're going to have to really ratchet back the spending on ad spend, marketing, and whatnot. Those customer acquisition costs uh, that can be very expensive up front. So they want to acquire customers and then keep those customers. That was a metric that really came through this quarter. I mean, they uh, what it was sixty point four percent percentage of orders placed by repeat customers this quarter versus fifty five point four percent a year ago. So that is a trend that's going in the right direction. A trend that maybe isn't going in the right direction. Operating expenses were higher this quarter than they were a year ago, and and so the big question mark for Wayfair is when they start pulling back on that spending, are they going to be able to maintain that growth? I think that I mean that's a fair question. I I haven't necessarily come up with the answer yet. I mean I think they're doing a lot of things right. I, the reaction today is a bit surprising because I mean the business is still unprofitable, uh, so I think that. Probably it would behoove them to focus on trying to get as profitable or trying to get profitable as quickly as possible because I feel like we're at this point in the market where the market's paying up for all sorts of growth. I mean, whether it's Tesla or Zillow or Wayfair, it's not about profits, it's just about the promise. Um, at some point, that worm is going to turn, and so it's going to be in their best interest to try to at least get this business. Um, as profitable as they can, as soon as they can, so that they can at least tell that side of the story. I think it's a good business, and I mean, having having just um, moved ourselves, I've seen one or two Wayfair boxes on our doorstep as well. Um, but all in all, I mean, I think most of the metrics are all trending in the right direction. I mean, they're bringing in more active customers. They're hanging on to those customers. Uh, those customers tend to buy more over time, and they become very valuable over sort of the lifetime. Um, it, it remains to be seen exactly how important this um, move Amazon makes is. That 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 will time will only tell that one. But but all in all, uh, yeah, good quarter for Waver. Let's move on to Marriott. Uh, their first quarter profits came in higher than expected. The stock is up around six percent and hitting a new high. And they they really crushed it this quarter. I mean, the yeah. stock. I mean, it's the stock isn't up twenty two percent, but it's <laughs> but it's but it's had such a, a great steady run for so long here. And you look at the fact that their occupant uh, occupancy rates are higher, and their room rates are higher. I mean, that's <laughs> if you run a hotel, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. No, it does not. And Chris, I must say, I'm 
a little disappointed at this quarter. I was hoping maybe for a little bit of a poor performance and some tepid guidance, because we have this on our watch list in MDP, and we have a very firm price that we're looking to add this to the portfolio, and today's pop is not helping it's that not cause. It's not helping. No, not at all. I mean, I really, really like this business. I mean, the, the uncertainty with Marriott for the past, I don't know, six months, I guess, was the acquisition of Starwood, and I mean there was a little bit of a back and forth there with some some competing bids and whatnot, but but that that uh, deal went through, and so now Marriott owns uh, Starwood, and they've created really the biggest hotel company in the world, and it's acting like it. Uh, Rev Par, which is revenue per available room, that's kind of like uh, that's their version of comps, and and that was up three point one percent for the quarter. Uh, improving trends in Europe and the Asia Pacific regions led them to uh, guy for a bit more of an optimistic rev par for the remainder of the year. And, and when you get that, along with a management team that has made a commitment to return a lot of a lot of value to shareholders here over the coming three years, I mean they're going to spend somewhere in the neighborhood of seven billion dollars in buying back shares and another one and a half billion dollars in dividends over these next three years. Because I mean that's ultimately how they juice that earnings growth, right? They bring that share count down and they continue to pay out dividends because it's a very it's a lovely business model. I mean these guys don't own the buildings; they're not maintaining these buildings. They're just they're just selling their services. They have this big portfolio of like 30 different hotel brands and and so the, the folks that own the real estate, they say, "Hey, well we want to we want to work with Marriott because it's a known and respected brand and we know it'll bring in a lot of traffic." And then and then they go in and they they run these hotels and they do a darn good job of it. Um I, there's nothing really nothing really to hate here. I, I just I, I was kind of hoping for Perhaps a little bit of a weaker outlook. I mean, I, I, we felt like it was fair at least to think it might happen, just because of the, you know, their concerns as far as travel restrictions. I mean, a stronger dollar doesn't necessarily play out in their right. favor either. Either, and so I mean, it just, but it didn't work out that way. Um, it'll oh, remain sorry, on the watch man. list, you know. <laughs> it'll remain on the watch list. But if, if you're an investor in Marriott today, I think you need to be feeling very, very good about owning these shares. Well, and to go back to something we talked about with Coach and Kate Spade, I did. The Marriott brand, I think, is as solid a brand. Yeah. And yeah, I'll just speak for myself, but I know if you know if I'm traveling somewhere, if that's an option, then I just think, okay, good, I'm fine. You know, I, I if I'm staying at a Marriott, I, I'm going to be taken care of. Yeah, and you know, they, I mean, that and, that, it's, that's, and it's not going to break my wallet. And, and it's a that's a very good point you make, and that's one of the bigger catalysts I think that they have going for them is is the loyalty program that Marriott has had. Has been very, very sound. I mean, they just they they have a, a customer loyalty second to none, and really Starwood is sort of the same nature. So the the acquisition is really bringing two very powerful loyalty programs together, and I think that over time that's going to be something that they exploit um, in a, in a good way. Now it's interesting to think. The other day I was reading uh, a take just on this sector in general, and and how technology. And how review sites like TripAdvisor have changed sort of that sentiment that you just expressed there. I think for a long time, people would say, okay, well, I'm going to go to Marriott because it's a known quantity. I know what I'm getting and I know that's going to be good. Whereas now you can go to something like TripAdvisor and you can read all of these different reviews on all of these different hotels in the area. And in particularly, I mean, hotels can be sort of a fragmented market. And all of a sudden now, it opens this world of opportunities up. I don't have to go to just a Marriott because I can find out 
what these other hotels are like, and I can really shop for the best deal. So, it, it is a little bit of a different dynamic today than it was before. But Marriott fights that by having so many different brands under that, under that umbrella that hit all of those different value points. And the acquisition of Starwood really only strengthened that. All right, before we get to our next story, got to say thanks to Harry's for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. I love Harry's products. I've talked about them before. I've used them for years. Uh, they ship right to your doorstep, so you don't need to wait for someone to unlock the plexiglass when you go. Because <laughs> now, razors, that's the thing about razors. They're so expensive, they got to keep them under lock and key at your, you know, your grocery store or wherever you're getting them. Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades, they're giving you their trial set for free. Free, Jason. Just cover $3 in shipping, and you get a free trial set that includes the following. A weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, the rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. I lo- I'm, I'm, uh, the razors are great. I'm very partial to the gel. I, I used it like three or four years ago. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I don't, I don't need anything else in terms. Uh, don't give me the Barbasol. Don't don't give me just not to not to pick on Barbasol, but isn't that wasn't that everyone's like first like when you first start shaving, and your dad's like, okay, here you go, and you get a can of Barbasol, and it's just like, yeah, you know what? It actually gets better from there. So, stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial offer. It's a thirteen dollar value for free. Just cover the shipping, and to get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five blade car- cartridge, and shave gel, just go to Harry's.com/fool. Right now, that's harrys.com slash fool. You can email us, marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. You can follow us on Twitter at marketfoolery. We're periscoping today's episode, so if you're following us on marketfoolery, hopefully you're watching. And you can join our Facebook group, which is Motley Fool Podcasts. Uh, thank you to Katie Pfefferhan of Virginia, who posted something for me in our Facebook group, which is uh, she posted a picture. Of the newest limited edition Oreos flavor. Oh, what is it? Waffles and syrup. Oh, just again, or waffles. Again, and if syrup. you're a Mondelez shareholder, is nothing off limits? I mean, apparently not. It's uh, Katie wrote. You know, the hits just keep on coming. Waffles and syrup. It's got to be the. Feel it's got to be the easiest gig in the world if you work in the Oreos division from Mondelez, <laughs> because it's just like what what ideas do you have for flavors? We'll try anything. Uh, Ham and potatoes, great, great, Jason. <laughs> we're gonna run that up. We're gonna have we're gonna have some people Ham work on potatoes. Yeah, we're gonna That's throw an that out there. Combo. Someone will buy it. Pandora's first quarter loss was smaller uh, smaller than expected, but unlike Wayfair, revenue uh, fell short of expectations and uh, stock down about eight percent this morning. Um, you know, we, we were talking before we started taping with our producer Dan Boyd. Um, this is kind of like coaching Kate Spade. The brand is stronger than the business. I feel like that's a little bit of what's going on with Pandora. I like Pandora. You know, Dan was talking about like I listen to Pandora a lot. So do I. I use it a lot. The business part they're struggling with, and I'm yeah. wondering if they are starting to put themselves in a position for a sale. So, as a listener of Pandora, do you pay for a subscription? No, I do the, the, the ad-supported okay. model. DZ, do you pay for a subscription? No. Okay. Shaking his head, no. Um, and so, there's the problem right there. I mean, I think that is is it in a nutshell for them. And I'm sure there probably is a suitor out there that could make Pandora 
um, a bit more of an attractive business. I think this is a testament, really, to number one. I think that I think they kind of dragged their heels a little bit. I, I just don't think they really thought that the competition in this space would ramp up so quickly. Um, and, and also, I, I, the economics of this business of this market are just really, really difficult because. I mean, I, I, there aren't many musicians out there today that are that are going to sit there and tell you how profitable being a musician is, right? I mean, they're not like, hey, you just you got to be a musician because man, when you put out a record or put out a song and it's just just a never-ending spigot of money that just keeps on like doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, really, if you want to be a successful musician, you really got to figure out probably a way to tour for a living, and I think that's one of the concerns. Really, is that you've got musicians wanting more and you've got businesses that can only pay so much because they can only bring in so many subscribers or that ad-based model is is only going to going to let them spend so much on the content there. And I mean, when you look at Pandora, I mean, I agree with you that the brand is still somewhat strong. I think it, it it's something that is recognizable, but I mean, when you look at the financials of this business, I mean, ever since these guys went public, they've never been profitable. They've never been cash flow positive. And that's just, there's a reason for that. Um it it simply at one time, it was a neat offering because of the advent of streaming music, but but then you had Amazon, you had Apple, you have Spotify, and really, I'm looking at Apple and Amazon here as two of the big competitors out there. And the reason why they're so for- formidable is that they are not just in the business of streaming music. The streaming music is essentially complementary to everything else that they offer, and and I think that just makes Pandora's business really really difficult to to sustain on any. Uh, meaningful level. Now, to that end, sure, I bet you there's probably a bigger player out there that could buy uh, Pandora, figure out a way to make it a bit of a better offering as we uh, see internet music sort of continue to take the direction it's taking. I mean, I've I've heard before of rumors out there that perhaps SiriusXM would be interested in acquiring Pandora for some reason. So, who knows? Really? Um, but I, I just think, I think when you look at the economics of the business, and you look at the history that Pandora has, I mean, it only gets tougher for them. And if over the past five years they've not been able to make it work, I can't fathom a solution that that helps them make it work going forward other than an acquisition. I mean, I wouldn't buy shares based on that thesis. So I think they're really kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'm, I'm wondering who's um, making the case for SiriusXM buying Pandora. I don't know because SiriusXM seems like they're they're covered, <laughs> both in terms of music and in terms of just a business model. Unless it's, I don't know, un, you know, unless the price is so amazing, because SiriusXM is what like a twenty-two billion dollar company, something yeah, like that. It's roughly ten times the size of Pandora. Somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two million subscribers. Now, I mean, I think a lot of of those subscribers came on. Uh, for for Howard Stern, I mean, I can, I can certainly relate to that, but I do think that um, I mean, you know, Stern's contract is only I think he's got three more years or so, three and a half more years on his current contract, and once that once that ends, I think the going wisdom he's he's going to kind of hang it up and go do something else with his life. But but they'll continue to have access to his content for an additional seven years beyond that. Um, perhaps they would see something in owning that Pandora. Brand again, as as we've seen in retail, some consolidation in the sector makes it a little easier. Perhaps consolidation there, because at this point, I'm sure they could buy Pandora for a song. No pun intended. 
We're going to wrap up now. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've said this to other people. I expect that from Simon Erickson. Yes, I don't yes. expect that from. Well, him. I said no pun intended. It <laughs> it's kind of like Ricky Bobby. I said I'll do respect. I said, I said with no all pun due pun respect. <laughs> Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.